Well, hey, Grace Church. My name is Bob Bryce. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just a, a warm welcome to you. I know we're kind of still gathered all over the place, but we still do believe that no matter what, it is the Holy Spirit of God who gathers the church together wherever we are physically. And so we thank you for those of you that are hosting watch parties again this weekend. Uh, we just think that that's an, an awesome thing. So thanks. In the summer of 2018, my wife Tammy and I took a trip to Harstad, Norway, which is where several of my ancestors lived over hundreds of years. Now, Harstad, for those of you that don't know, because I sure didn't, is way, way, way up north. It's even north of the Arctic Circle. And it's, it's still, even today, a, a fairly small city of about 20,000 or so. And one of the main reasons we visited there was because my sister had done all of this like family genealogy work and discovered that many of my family on the maternal side uh, of my grandfather uh, were all pastors. And I didn't know that. And so, in fact, three consecutive generations of them were all pastors at the exact same little church in Harstad called Trondinus. Here's a photo of that. This church has been standing there since sometime in the 1200s. And so, I don't know, just something in me wanted to, to see and experience all this for myself. So, so Tammy and I, here we are in this country we basically know nothing about, uh, including the language, and we're just trying to figure it out. And when we got to the cabin I had rented, I did an Airbnb, as we drove in, I started to notice that many of the signs had names that looked familiar to me. I, re I remembered seeing them in our family history. And so when we met the guy who rented us the cabin, we introduced ourselves and I just said, hey, I, I think that you and I might somehow be related. He looked largely unimpressed, but I just continued anyway. I started asking him about certain family names and, and I, I could see his eyebrow would kind of go up and, and he would just kind of think a little bit, but still was, was looking very suspicious. And now, I, I'm not sure if you know this or not, uh, especially about Norwegians, but they're, they're not um, what I would describe as the friendliest group of folks I've ever met. But I just kept on going, kept on talking, 15 minutes, I think. I, I even got out my phone and was showing him my Ancestry app and trying to do everything I could to bring up more and more names and people from the past, but yet he still remained skeptical. And then all of a sudden he exclaimed, he, he just kind of pointed at the phone and was like, that's my father right there. And then all of a sudden he, he was in a shuffle. He took out his phone. He called his dad and he said a bunch of stuff. Of course, I couldn't understand. And he hung up and then suddenly everything, everything was different. And by the time we got done going through it, it turns out he's my fourth cousin. I mean, think about that. It just, it blew me away. Now, I'm not saying that like we hugged it out or anything. I mean, we are Norwegians after all. But we went from not even knowing that each other existed just a few moments earlier to realizing that we're family. And that changed our relationship in an instant. It was incredible. And he said that his dad would be coming back soon and that we were all going to sit down and we were going to get this all sorted out. Well, we did. We ate 
And we talked and we laughed and we shared photos and stories and, and we met even more family. We even FaceTimed my mom and introduced her to her third cousin. It, it was just, it was an amazing week that we spent together. But when you think about it, really, what changed? What changed? I mean, how is it that we could go from having so very little in common to having so much in common just in that one moment? The truth is that our relationship upward changes our relationships outward. Our relationships upward changes our relationships outward. The shared relationship that we had with someone else had the power to change and even redefine the relationship we had with one another. And it did exactly that. But this is not just something that's possible in like blood relative relationships. It can happen right here inside our church between all different kinds of people. And that makes it even more amazing. Because the reality is that when we have a relationship with Jesus, that changes the kind of relationships we have with one another. Or at least it should. But let's be honest, it often doesn't seem that way, does it? I mean, the the modern day Western evangelical church has been so heavily influenced by the hyper individualism of our culture that it's just kind of spilled over into the relationships that we have with one another inside the church. Or maybe has even affected whether or not we think we should even have relationships with other believers at all. Because let's face it, without even really trying all that hard, we can just sort of choose to slip into a weekend service, whether it's outside or especially when it's online. We can just not let anybody know that we're there, not chat with anyone online, or if we're outside, not even interact with anyone or talk with anyone. We can just kind of strategically avoid people, and, and we can avoid getting connected into a small group and say, oh, that's not for me. We can avoid serving in the church or, or even out in the community. We can do all that and we can still say, oh, yes, I'm a part of Grace Church. But the reality is that's not the way that church was ever designed to be or to function, nor the way any church has or will ever grow and thrive together in relationship with God and in relationship with one, another's, one another in the church and with relationship with the world at large. It's just not possible to do it that way. Because in order for that to happen, we've got to have more than just drive-through Christianity. It's got to be more. We've got to have Christian fellowship. Fellowship is the second of the four core components we're exploring in our Back to the Future series that's all about the essentials of the early church, which are identified and outlined in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. That's that one little verse. We're looking back to that in order to learn the vital things that lead us into God's desired future. And so last week we talked about the apostles' teaching. This week we're talking about fellowship. Next week we'll be talking about communion. And then the last week we're going to be talking about prayer. 
Those four things, those four core components are as non-negotiable today as they were 2,000 years ago. And without any one of them, you can certainly have something, but you don't have the church. When it comes to fellowship, this gets confusing right away because we often don't have any idea what that word means. Because it's not a terribly common word, especially outside of the church. And even inside of the church, it's been so overused and abused in so many different ways that it's pretty much become, you know, ambiguous. A lot of people think, well, it's just like maybe talking about friendship or something like that. That's, that's not enough. That's not an adequate thing. It, it just, the word in and of itself has become pretty unhelpful because we don't know what it means. But my hope is that together we can learn and we can work to change that. And that change starts today. That we can begin to rediscover what it really means, what the true essence of biblical fellowship is. And we're going to do this together. All of us together. Starting right now. But before we jump in and actually see what Scripture teaches us about this uniquely Christian kind of fellowship, let me pray for us as we get going. Lord, we thank you for gathering us together by the power of your Holy Spirit. We know that it is you who calls the church together. We don't believe it is by accident that any of us are here in whatever way we are here right now. We thank you that, uh, that you continue to fill us by the power of your spirit and that you continue to illuminate your word that you might change our hearts and give us a new sense of what it means to be a follower of you. Lord, our hope and our trust and our belief is all found in you. We just ask that you strengthen our resolve and give us courage and help us to see the path that you are leading us on and pulling us into your desired future. We thank you for who you are, and we, we thank you for who you make us to be in you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you think about the idea of Christian fellowship, what kind of things come to your mind? Do you just kind of think of, well, maybe waving to somebody in the parking lot as you drive in? Do you think about like, well, maybe just clicking on the like button on the Grace Facebook page? Maybe it's, is it having a meal together? Or, or maybe it's uh, saying hello to somebody like when you run into somebody that you know from church and you see them at the grocery store. Uh, maybe that's it. Or, or maybe it's offering to pray for someone if you know they're having a tough time. Or maybe it's just like kind of hanging out with other people from church. Maybe that's fellowship. But here's the deal. True fellowship is not just hanging out. It's not even just going to church. N not that those things aren't great. Those things are great. But Christian fellowship is much more than those things. In Acts 2.42, where we have those four core components, it goes on right after that to give us just a little bit of a dimension of what this kind of fellowship actually looks like and, and what the Bible means uh, about 
what Christian fellowship should be. Let's look at Acts 2.42 so we can hear these four core components. And then we're just going to read a couple verses after that and talk about them. Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Well, when we hear this, the first thing we kind of pick up on and notice is that fellowship means that they were together. Together. And we talked about how uh, last week that, that the early church had to kind of be a little bit mobile because things changed, circumstances changed rapid, rapidly and they needed to adjust. And so it looked different, even maybe from week to week. We know a thing or two about that at this point, don't we? About having things be different. But the point is that they were together, even if it was a little bit different. But then it goes on to say that they had everything in common. Everything in common to me sounds like a lot more than just, you know, parking lot waves and high fives. It sounds like they were involved in one another's lives at a much deeper level. And then, somewhat even more amazingly, it says that they even sold property and possessions so that they could give to anyone who was in need. And again, not to be confusing, we're talking specifically about people caring for one another inside of the church. There are plenty of other places in scripture that talk about all kinds of things that that we're called to do to help unbelievers. But this is talking about believers helping with the needs of other believers in this community, in this fellowship. And I think, you know, given the time of, uh, I don't know, the election cycle we're on, perhaps, that it's important that I say this is not some sort of uh, outline of a political system or ideology that we're talking about. Because lots of people try to make it into that. Lots of people try to say, oh, my gosh, this is like some kind of socialist or communist manifesto. But that is not at all what is happening here. Now, the main point for us to consider is the attitude that the members of the fellowship have toward one another, their attitude toward one another. That's the important part. Because they have Christ in common with one another, their attitude toward each other is, hey, if you have a need and I can somehow help, then count me in. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you even when it's inconvenient and even when it costs me something. Because that's just what we do. We take care of each other. Now, remember last week we talked about how members of the early church had to count on, of course they had to count on God, but they also had to count on each other for their very survival. They knew that they could not live on mission unless they had God at the center and that they also had one another to share their burdens. And that word share is actually a very important word because it's one of the most common translations of this Greek word. You might've heard of it. It's called koinonia. Lots of books with that title, koinonia. What that means is essentially to share with one another in the things that are common to life. 
In other words, simply put, we're doing this together. We're in this together. And so koinonia is essentially a very Christian word because it, it refers specifically to our relationship with other believers in Christ. Not people outside of the Christian faith, but people who are believers in Jesus. And for us today, yes, of course, that means believers in our own community called Grace Church. But here's an interesting part. It's, it's much bigger than that. This fellowship includes all believers everywhere, everyone who knows and trusts Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. They're in the fellowship. We're all in this fellowship together. Our, our doctrinal and our interpretive differences and our disagreements... Those all are secondary to this one thing. As Christians, we all share in the common life of Jesus. We all share in the common life of Jesus if we believe and trust in him. Jesus Christ alone is the cornerstone of this fellowship of believers. He is, in fact, what makes true fellowship possible. And it's the relationship we have with Jesus that then enables us to have these kinds of deep and engaging relationships with other Christians. So naturally, as, as we grow in relationship with Jesus, we should also then be growing in relationship with one another. Because it's through this common sharing of life together, doing life together, with other believers who are are also in Christ that brings us closer together even when we might otherwise have very little in common. Think about that. The, the fellowship, true fellowship, transcends our human differences. It doesn't, it doesn't strive to produce sameness. It instead seeks to maximize the diverse expression of God's creative energy. And, and this happens through each of us as we use our unique gifts and talents that God has given us for the purpose of building one another up, supporting one another, and encouraging one another. Not just lip service, not just with our words, but through our actions. This is what Jesus is referring to in John 13 when he says that people in the world will know that we are his disciples not if we love people in the world, interestingly enough. There's plenty of other stuff that talks about that. But here he says, the world will know if we love one another. In other words, it's this bond of divine love that calls Christians specifically to share in this common life of Jesus together. One of the best kind of overall descriptions of this is in uh, John, 1 John chapter 1. It's a letter that, uh, that John writes. And so we're just going to go to that real quick and, and read a few verses. Because it gives us an idea about this shared fellowship. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, or Jesus. The life appeared. Jesus appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. Now here, listen to this. We proclaim to you 
what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And so fellowship is not something that we can just sort of cook up or manufacture ourselves or create through our own efforts. It's, it's not a program. It's not a, like a special event. It's certainly not something that happens during fellowship time, whatever that is. It's something that we are invited into. It already exists. It exists because Jesus has called it into existence. And then he invites us, along with other believers, to be in relationship with him in a fellowship. And it happens immediately. As soon as we believe in him and trust him, then we are invited and brought into this shared life between the Father, the Son, it's all held together by the power of the Holy Spirit, this fellowship. And through Jesus, we get invited into the very life of God. Certainly not because we've done anything to earn it, but because of what Jesus has done to make it possible. Now, I don't know about you, but that brings me a deep sense of joy. Joy. That's what they're writing about here. Joy. Our joy is complete. Because even when circumstances are tough, and even when things are not going the way that we want, we are never walking through anything alone because our lives are, as Paul says in Colossians, hidden in Christ. And therefore, we hold in common with one another this shared experience of fellowship with Jesus Christ and with God himself. We are together because that's the way God wants it. So today there are two main realities that I would just like to talk about when it comes to understanding a bit more about this kind of Christian fellowship. And so the, the first thing is that fellowship is a team sport. Fellowship is a team sport. Christian fellowship is not something that is meant for individual Christians. The gospel is what creates this fellowship of believers, it's not a gathering of disconnected or disinterested individuals that, you know, kind of don't really have anything to do with each other. In fact, we share a common life in Christ. Because of that, then there's an inherited expectation that if, if you're hurting, we're all hurting. And, and if you're celebrating, then we're all celebrating. But how are we actually doing at that? And especially considering this, this time of COVID-19 and this disconnection and, and this desperation. But we can't just use that as an excuse either. We can't just say, oh, well, we'll blame it all on COVID-19 and just, well, that's why. No, we, we can't just dismiss it that easily. We can't, we can't either say, well, oh, there's just too many people in the church. Too many people in the church, I couldn't possibly know everybody. So what difference does it make? Why would I even bother trying? Folks, we've got to take seriously how seriously we need one another. And we've got to find ways to make sure that people aren't just somehow getting lost in the shuffle. And I realize and know, believe me, that this certainly isn't easy. It doesn't mean that it isn't worth it. 
And so as you're thinking about this, I'd love to hear some of the ideas that you might have in terms of how we can stay connected together and how we can more deeply engage with one another on a regular basis. Not, not just for our time right now during COVID-19, but how do we as a church, how do we go about building the relational connection points for the future so that true Christian fellowship is a defining characteristic of who we are at Grace Church so that the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. And while, you know, small groups and things like that, especially small groups, actually, they're probably the best place for this kind of thing to happen. But it's got to be more than that. It's got to be part of the cultural DNA of Grace Church. This doesn't, doesn't just change immediately. We've got to work at this together. We've got to recognize first who Jesus is and what he's done. And then we live differently in light of that. Each one of us, every one of us, can take small steps toward building bridges and making connections with one another that will then start to radiate this kind of world-changing, burden-bearing, upbuilding sort of love that Jesus has in mind. Which leads us to the second reality when it comes to Christian fellowship. And this is, this is an important one. Fellowship is not optional. Fellowship is not optional. Sometimes we think fellowship is more like friendships. Well, I already have a lot of friends. Maybe I don't need any more friends. That's what we're talking about, folks. We might be tempted to also think, well, you know, it's not my job. Uh, somebody else will just take care of it. But we're in this together. Remember, we share this common life in Christ. And as we do that, then this, this life of Christ as believers, we come to depend on him to lead and to guide us. But we also then need to recognize our dependence on living together as his body, his living, breathing body that's right here on earth. Paul famously lays this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he, he calls us to remember that Christ is the head of the body and we are all of its parts, all of us together. And there's no one part that is more valuable than others. And none of the parts are disposable or dispensable. We are each given a unique aspect, unique gifting, unique interpretation, unique function of how the body all comes together. So when we start losing body parts, the church naturally suffers greatly. And so does the mission. And even though our functions are different from person to person, it's not our function that determines our value. There's not a ranking system. Our function doesn't determine value. Jesus does. In Christian fellowship, all believers are equally valued and equally important, even though the things that we might do differ greatly. And sometimes we might feel like our functions, well, they're just simple or they're insignificant. But we need to consciously reject that and remember that God is always at work, even when we might not realize it or see it or feel it. And a good example of this is I can, <laughs> I can honestly tell you that one of the main reasons I'm even at Grace Church today is because of Tom and Linda Helgott. 
Tom and Linda Helgen. When, when Tammy and I visited uh, one Saturday night in February of 2019, Tom and Linda introduced themselves to us and we had a great conversation. It was a conversation, not, not like a, uh, hey, how's it going conversation where you know that people are really just talking to you because they're supposed to and they know it and so they try, it's kind of awkward. No, this was none of that. This was a, hey, tell us a little bit about your story and, and let us know how we can pray for you and be helpful to you and come alongside you. It was that kind of a conversation. There was depth. There was care. There was genuine interest. And there was also even memorable encouragement because I've never forgotten that interaction. It wasn't fleeting. It wasn't just like a little spark of a possible friendship. No, this, this was true fellowship in that moment, fellowship. And it was powerful. And honestly, I truly believe it helped change the course of my life. I cannot overstate that. But it also wasn't a one-time event either. We continue to be in a growing relationship together because the foundation we share is this common life we have in Christ. This common life we have in Christ is what produces this world-changing, burden-bearing, upbuilding kind of relationship between other people that only comes when we have true fellowship. And so just as each of us, each all of us together, has an ongoing relationship that we have with Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, please let somebody know. We will pray for you. We will talk to you. We will help guide you. We want you in this fellowship. But as we grow together in relationship with God, we should also be growing in our ongoing relationships with others, right? Other believers. We've got to do this together. And it's even more important because, again, fellowship is not optional, but Fellowship is not optional because evil is always on the prowl. Evil is always on the prowl. Now think about it. When we worked our way through Psalm 23 several weeks ago, we talked about the, the, what happens when the sheep uh, get eaten by predators. Which kinds of sheep are the ones that fall victim? Well, they're the ones who fall behind. They're the ones who wander off from the flock. And even though it's, it's true, of course, that Jesus is our good shepherd, each of us is called to partner with Christ to take care of, or at least help take care of the flock. Because it, it's a dangerous world. So take a look at Hebrews 3, just for a moment. There's a, there's a little section in Hebrews 3 that I think is particularly relevant. It starts verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. There's this sense that we've We've got to do this together and that this is urgent and that it requires ongoing support. Because sin is very crafty. Sin is very good at lying. Sin is very deceitful. It whispers things to us all the time like, well, 
you probably shouldn't go to church today because, well, it's a good day to sleep in. Or, well, you know, your small group is pretty much a big waste of time anyway, and there's, there's lots of other much more fun things you could be doing instead. Or, 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 or how about this one? Why would you ever, ever trust anyone or anything other than yourself? You got this. But the truth is, we don't got this. We don't got this at all. Not even for a moment. But when our, our ears start filling up and eventually, they will eventually get plugged with the false promises of the world, what then? What happens then? What happens when we start to wander off? What happens, well, I don't know about all that. What happens when we start taking steps that lead us away from the flock? Well, this is what verse 13 calls hardening, which I think is a really interesting word because it basically is trying to tell us uh, through, through this word how each of us can be slowly lured into sin before we even know it. It's not an instant hardening. It hardens over time. And as soon as this starts happening, interesting thing happens as well. The truth of Jesus becomes less and less desirable, less and less of a real thing that we believe we need to hold on to. And so we make other plans. We, we start dropping out of our church commitments. We, we stop attending services. We don't have time to make it to the small group anymore. You see, we start heading down a path of destruction by mistaking it for the road to freedom. We start heading down a path of destruction. We mistake it the entire way thinking we're on the road to freedom. Everything just gets flipped upside down. We don't even know it. But the kind of Christian fellowship that we're talking about today doesn't let this happen to God's children. Not without a fight anyway. Because the truth is that if we're not willing to fight for the faith of one another, then we should dare not say that we love one another. Right? Because I think the question is, what is the faith of another person worth? Is it worth praying for that person? Is it worth checking in with somebody with a phone call? Is, is it worth an email or a text message? Is it, maybe is it, is it worth a trip over to somebody's house to see how they're doing? Is it worth getting other believers involved to find out how can we help this person? How do we do this together? Is it worth fighting for, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's costly? Because what is it truly worth? Well, let there be no question about this. Never wonder about what it's worth to God. Because after all, God is the one who sent his only son, not just to forgive sinners, but to save them from their sin. Jesus saves us from our sin. It was worth Jesus leaving his heavenly throne and going all the way to hell and back to rescue us and claim us as his very own. It was worth Jesus giving up his very life for us so that when the father raised him, then we were finally free to live in fellowship with God forever and ever. And it's still worth him standing at your door and knocking. It's still worth him breathing new life into you through his Holy Spirit. 
It's worth him dismantling and destroying every barrier and every obstacle and thwarting every scheme of the devil that tries to snatch you away. And it's even worth him bending the circumstances of the entire world right now in this moment to let you know how much he loves and cares for you and how badly he's inviting you, wants to claim you in to this fellowship with him and with other believers. It's that relationship. It's our relationship with him upward that changes our relationships outward. This relationship we have with Jesus changes everything about our relationships with one another. And it's this kind of world-changing, burden-sharing, upbuilding fellowship that radiates the love of God out into a hurting and broken world. We don't got this. We don't. But Jesus does. And he's invited us in. Thanks be to God. Amen.